There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Cranes still swing overhead and cement trucks continue to beep. Outside DC Central Kitchen's new headquarters in Southwest DC, just blocks south of Audi Field. But despite all the construction commotion outside, the 36,000 square foot Michael R. Klein Center for Jobs and Justice is open for business and you can hear it. The shiny new HQ in the Buzzard Point neighborhood with its nearly 7,000 square foot production kitchen is glassy, bright and open. It kind of feels like a tech startup headquarters instead of a food kitchen. And that's intentional, says CEO of DC Central Kitchen, Mike Curtin. We're not here just to help, air quotes, in there to, to support people. We are here as a business. On the show, Curtin walks us through this new facility. And more than that, helps explain a new idea or new approach to nonprofits. He thinks we need to stop, quote, helping people. And instead, we need to start, quote, investing in people. For Curtin, this new way of thinking is essential to solving poverty in D.C. and the world. Mike Curtin, welcome to the DMV Download Podcast. And just to start off, you know, tell us where we are. Well, we are right now in the Michael R. Klein Center for Jobs and Justice, which is the new 36,000 state-of-the-art facility on the banks of the Anacostia, uh, where D.C. Central Kitchen has moved all of our operations. And uh, now we're doing everything from meals to job training to community building and uh, uh, life-changing and power and liberation work. Mm. And to our left, there's this huge pane of glass. What are we seeing here? I mean, I'm an untrained eye, but it looks like a sprawling kitchen to me. So th- this is a massive, almost uh, 7,000 square foot production kitchen. This is about six times the size of, of our production space that we had in our old spaces. Out of this space right now, we're doing about 12,000 meals a day. Those meals are going to community partners, other nonprofits, uh, shelters, transitional homes, halfway houses. But we're also doing about 6,000 meals a day, locally sourced, scratch-cooked meals that are going to schools in the district, uh, mostly in Ward 7. Um, so this is part of not only getting food into uh, better, good food into all areas of our community, but it's a social enterprise business that not only generates revenue to support the other programming of D.C. Central Kitchen, but creates jobs for graduates of our culinary job training program. So up to my left, I'm seeing a timeline of sorts. You know, So let's kind of walk along this sure. timeline. I'm seeing the date, 1989. Tell us, was this the start? Was this the inception? So D.C. Central Kitchen was founded on January 20th, 1989 by Robert Egger. Our, our first donation of surplus food came from the inaugural balls of George H.W. Bush. Uh, this was really a grab for publicity more than anything else. Robert knew that this was a, an idea that would work, but it was challenging a lot of people because it was new. And he felt that if he could get the president to be part of this, everyone else would come along and... As usual, Robert was right, uh, and, and that's, when we, uh, that's when we started. Hmm. So, Mike, tell us more about this new idea that's driving D.C. Central Kitchen. What is this idea? We've evolved a lot over the last 34 years, but we are still uh, very much uh, focused on using food as a tool 
a means, not an end, to strengthen bodies, empower minds, and build communities. And uh, the kitchen is based really on, on two founding principles. One, and this is sort of counterintuitive, but it's that this is notion that food will never end hunger. We will never feed our way out of hunger. So that's why we use food as a tool, a means, not an end. Um, and this other idea that somehow, unintentionally, um, what had happened in this, the charity world is the act of feeding people, the act of, of w- going out and working with folks on the streets had become more about the redemption of the giver and not about the liberation of the receiver. Everything we do is about liberation. It's about using food to help us get to that place where we don't need to give people food. And, you know, what's kind of the driving philosophy? Is there a nexus as far as, you know, the, the values, or is it just kind of a general helping your, you know, neighbor? Well, actually, we want, to, we want to avoid the idea of saying help. You know, that sets up sort of this old, tired dichotomy of, of otherness, and we want to avoid that. What we want to say is we have everything we need in our community already. We have, we have food that we're not using appropriately. We have healthy, good food that we're not using appropriately. We have individuals who, who want to work, who want to become the people that they've always wanted to be. They want to be part of a larger economic discussion. We have space. We have young folks who want to volunteer. We have seniors who are still part of the community but might not be working and they want to be part of this. So if we just take all of what we have in front of us and, and sort of rearrange the pieces a little bit, we'll be able to create incredible change. And, you know, for a second, can we back up and you know, talk about the core issue here, which is need and hunger. Can you situate that issue and how serious it is in the district? Well, hunger remains a huge issue throughout our country. Um, tragically, the district is no different and even in worse shape than many uh, areas around our country. D.C. has the highest rate of senior hunger in the country. The capital of the United States of America can't take care of, feed, provide support for our senior citizens. Uh, And that is tragic. Uh, We also have the, the largest growing population of what's referred to as opportunity youth in the country. So these are individuals that are aged 18 to 24. Uh, Most of them haven't graduated from high school, are not involved in school, are not employed, are are really disconnected from their families and don't and and are are lost searching for what's next. So we have a group of young folks that are are dealing with hunger and insecurity and we have a, a, a significant senior population on the other end of the spectrum that is also dealing with insecurity and and hunger. And these two forces are creating significant increase in need right here in the district that has only become uh, more acute during and now after the pandemic. How would you answer the question, why should, you know, I care? Why should people care? The first answer is poverty is expensive. When we, in a disjointed way, try to support individuals, we spend a lot of money doing it, and it do, we don't get much return on that investment. Um, a lot of the individuals that we train that come through our program are folks that have been in situations that have put them into the criminal justice system, and they become incarcerated. Uh, and as you know, we could talk all we could talk for a long time about the, the shortcomings of the criminal justice system in our country, but what a short way to look at it, it is a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy. The, the national recidivism number is, is roughly 70%. So folks that go into prison and get out, uh, more than likely 
will reoffend and go back. And the, the number one reason that happens is because they can't get a job because there's this idea that, well, if someone was in prison, we certainly can't hire them. So what do we expect? What do we think is going to happen? And it costs about as much money to keep someone in prison for, for a year as it costs to send someone to an Ivy League college. We're all paying that money. That is tax dollars going into a program that we know will fail. We know that. However, if folks that have been incarcerated come to our program, their chances of them reoffending and going back, mostly because they will have a job now, is about 3%. So that is hundreds of millions of dollars that just one program a year can save that can be reinvested in our community. So if there's anything about your community that you would like to see done better, roads, parks, green space, public transportation, programs like DC Central Kitchen matter. Folks that are not in a position to provide food for themselves and their families, that matters. If we can find ways to do that, that matters. And that makes our community a stronger, more viable, more sustainable place. Mm. In other words, it's not just someone hungry. It's jobs. It's you know feeding that hunger. And that all kind of folds into society at large and impacts everyone at a certain point. So hunger is just one of many symptoms of this larger issue of poverty. And that's ultimately what D.C. Central Kitchen is all about. We're not going to end hunger unless we get at the root cause causes poverty. If we can find people jobs, good jobs, good paying jobs that have benefits, that's what we're after. So we, we can't, and this is again why we, we talk about using food as a tool, knowing that we, we can give out free food and backpacks and all those things are great all day long, but if people are still hungry tomorrow, we're, we're still paying for it and we haven't solved the problem. We've been hearing from CEO of DC Central Kitchen, Mike Curtin, about the new facility at Buzzard Point. After the break, we'll talk about whether this model laid out by DC Central Kitchen is working. Curtin says it is, and he can prove it. Stick around. And we're back. So, Mike, is DC Central Kitchen's model of training people to cook, then hiring them as chefs to cook for those in need, is this model working? It absolutely works. Um, We have now close to 250 employees. Over half of them are graduates. Some of them have been with us almost 20 years. Now, some actually have been here longer than 20 years, supporting their families, supporting themselves. They've moved moved out of shelters. They've moved off of SNAP. Uh, They've moved off of the supportive programming that actually works, that bridge folks getting to that place of self-sufficiency. Yes, it works. And we, we, we create revenue. Certainly, the community is incredibly supportive of the kitchen and has supported us as we've moved into this new space. But um, we actually earn over $10 million a year with our school contracts, our, the three cafes that we run now, catering, um, other businesses that we run, again, staffed by graduates of our program, being paid living wages with living benefits, retirement benefits. So this cycle, this righteous cycle of liberation, empowerment, and opportunity, actually, it does work. It does make a difference. Uh, and, and, and we want to spread that as far as we can. Mm. And tell us about the story of getting here to this new location. You know, I'm seeing cranes swinging high. It's a new area here, you know, like what importance does this new location hold? Sure. So for many years, we were in the basement of the Federal City Shelter Building, which served us well, but it was, again, hidden. It was tucked away. We were in the margins. We were in the shadows. um, And that was not... Uh, appropriate for the work that we were doing, nor was it respectful for the individuals who were doing this hard work of changing their lives uh, and, and becoming 
parts of our community in more and more powerful and important ways. Um, we also wanted to be in a developing area, like you said, right here on Buzzard Point and on the southwest waterfront. It is sort of between the wharf and the yard, so it is a, a, an area that is developing, and we wanted to show that social enterprise nonprofits can play a significant role in economic development. We're not here just to help air quotes in there to, to support people. We are here as a business. We, as I said, we employ over almost 250 people at, at living wages. Again, and many of those folks had been unemployed for significant periods of time. That is an important part of making our community stronger uh, and, and more sustainable. Um, and, and to be in the, the first floor of this mixed-use building, to be the retail and a retail anchor tenant of this mixed-use development is a powerful statement about the power of nonprofits and about the power of social enterprise uh, and, and, and what, what role it can play in developing communities, not only here in the district, but around the country. Mm. We've been talking about it here and there throughout the question. You sprinkled it in throughout, but social enterprise, it's kind of this like bullish, you know, natured nonprofit. I, I'm still trying to conceptually understand it, you know, better, but can you lay out that mechanism for us? Sure. It's real simple. It, it's business with a motivation of doing good, uh, of making our community a stronger place, looking at, at people as opposed to profits necessarily. Now, business is good. We, we, when we run our businesses, we have to make profits or we have to pay our bills like everyone else and we want to again we, we pay good wages and, and we provide an incredible uh, array of benefits and that the, all that costs money but every penny that we make we invest back into that business to grow that business and to do better by the people that are that are making those businesses happen so so social enterprise again it's it's no different than any other business except that we are not focused on how much money we're going to pay our shareholders how much money we're going to pay the management how much um, th th that we that we need to expand our businesses uh, you know to move into other areas. We want to do what we do really well. We do want to grow our businesses, but we want to make sure we do it in a sustainable way that makes sense for everyone involved. Mm. You know, in a capitalistic society, it sometimes seems antithetical, but it sounds like it's working. It, it's, it, it, yes, it is working, and I don't think it's antithetical because it is business. Again, we have to, we have to pay our bills. You know, we, the, in this massive space, the, the gas people, the electric people, the water people, they all expect to get paid. And I can't say to them when the bill comes, hey, stop, don't have money, but hey, we did 12,000 meals yesterday. How, how, how's that? That's not going to work. So we, we believe in capitalism. We believe in business. It, it is the right, it is absolutely a successful model. However, when people are getting very, very rich, while others are getting very, very poor, there needs to be some sort of adjustment. And we look at the way we do business as an opportunity to, to say, this can benefit everybody. This can, everyone can do well in this model, uh, including those in our community that aren't really even immediately involved in it. Mm. So if you're a listener, you're like, hmm, I want to help, but this guy's telling me not to really help. You know, wh what should we do if we're concerned about this issue, uh, but we want to do it in the right way that you're kind of laying out here? So I, I would never say don't help. I, I would say let's not, let's not think of help in the old tired way where we've thought of it before, where there's one group on one side of the table sort of reaching down to another group saying, hey, aren't you lucky that we are here to help? We want to say, hey, we can all do this together and help each other get to a better place at the same time. 
So the, the best way to be part of what we do here at D.C. Central Kitchen is, is to go to dccentralkitchen.org, sign up to volunteer, come down, check it out, chop, slice, dice, cut in this, with us in this beautiful new space, work side by side with our staff, our students, and, and get to know who we are go to one of our cafes. We have one at the Ark over in Southeast. We have one in the, the first floor of the Martin Luther King Library in Northwest on 9th and G. And then here uh, at 2nd and V Southwest at the, at the the Klein Center for Jobs and Justice. Come in, be part of that. Hire us to cater an event. Uh, and you can also go to that same website, dccentralkitchen.org slash donate and invest in the work that we're doing here and invest in the future of our shared community. Well, thank you so much for laying out kind of this vision. It, it seems new to me. It seems like kind of old to you. You've been here for, you know, a while. Uh, but I appreciate you laying it all out for us. It, it seems like you're excited about the future. We are wildly excited about the possibilities here. You know, we've been around for 34 years now, but this in some ways is a new start. We, we as always stay true to where we began, but this will give us an opportunity to do so much more, to be so more impactful, uh, and, and, and an opportunity for more people to be part of that work to change our community for everyone. Thanks again. My pleasure. And that'll do it for us today here on the DMV Download Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let us know how we're doing. Give us some stars on your favorite podcast platform or leave a review. This show is brought to you by WTOP News. Listen on 103.5 FM in the D.C. area, 107.7 FM in Virginia, and 103.9 FM in Frederick, Maryland. Online at WTOP.com, and of course on the WTOP News app. Have a great week. We'll talk Wednesday.